Welcome back, everyone, to the Mind, Heart, Muscle podcast, where we explore the body and mind connection. We train our hearts and our souls and understand what it means to be human. We connect with authors, coaches, doctors, and entrepreneurs to both challenge and develop the way we think and approach our life. If you want to become the best version of yourself, have better relationships, and optimize your health, you'll learn that and much more here. We know you'll enjoy the show, so here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. We're so glad you can make it. Today we've got a a friend of ours, uh, coach, gym owner, entrepreneur. This is becoming a, a theme. We've got a lot of people like that. Anyway, Alex Tufan. He's a he's uh, he's out of um, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's got a um, a gym out there, a personal training gym soon to be a uh, group fitness place. He'll talk about that a little bit more. He's opening a new place. Uh, we recently did our lifted coaching certification with Alex and uh, got to know him over the wa- over the last couple of months. He's also a rock solid athlete, recently completed a an Ironman. For those of you who don't know what an Ironman is, it's a long distance triathlon. Two and a half mile swim, 112 miles on the bike, and then a marathon run, 26.2 miles. This is an all-day event. You have to have grit and endurance and strength and stamina and focus and motivation for sure. And he did all of this during a time of year where because of his uh, religious beliefs, he decided or he was fasting. Fasting from food and water when the daylight is out. Um, so really interesting conversation. We dove into uh, the mindset that he has, um, his little bit about his business, uh, a lot about n- nutrition, science, and, and exercise, and all of these things. And it was just a fun conversation. So enjoy the show with our friend Alex Tufan. The, the conversation started... Recording in progress. She's that's a new <laughs> thing. Hear that? I know. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> found that out yesterday. You did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Zoom. So Zoom is growing. Let's. <laughs> I know is. you have a lot to say, though, Ron. And I want to start like this. I want to start a little differently. <laughs> All right, you start then. That's cool. So I was at a right before this call. I went over to Seven Eleven and I grabbed a coffee and some some fruit, some apples and grapes. And there was this guy behind the counter who's there all the time. And he's the most polite person I've ever met. And after every sentence is, is the word bro. <laughs> he's just, it's just like, <clears throat> how you doing this morning, bro? <laughs> and can I, can I help you with some napkins, bro? Or do you, do you have a rewards card for those, bro? And I love it, man. He's, it's, he's so genuine. <laughs> he is so genuine, yet such a, and we're in, we're in New York City, and he's such like a Jersey Shore kind of guy. 
but he's the nicest <laughs> person. <laughs> Dude, there's this awesome, awesome way to kick, there's this, for, kick some coffee. <laughs> there's this woman at the McDonald's that I stop and get coffee from <laughs> sometime. And I'll pull up to the drive-thru and she has the most energy ever. It's like, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you today? And I just get, I just get so pumped. I'm like, I'm like, yo, that's a woman who loves her job and the world, <laughs> the world needs more of that. <laughs> she definitely had her coffee this morning. <laughs> Real. <laughs> so we think. Hopefully just coffee. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love people that bring energy and it's contagious. How do you do that, Alex? You just you're opening a new gym, right? Or or transitioning locations. Yeah, What's, moving locations. Talk to us about your, talk to us about that the process and the, um, the desire to move and what's, what's changing, what do the clients think, all that stuff. Just tell me about it. Yeah, By the way, hi, yeah. hi so, Alex um, Tufan. Welcome. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, Ron. Thank you. It's cool to be here. Thanks a lot. I'm excited for this. Um, so I'm I own a personal training gym right now. We specialize in one-on-one -on -one training. And I've been doing this since the end of 2016. And the location I'm currently in, we have a non-compete with a boot camp that's a few doors down. And it makes sense for the landlord, right, to not have two competing tenants. So per the lease, I do one-on-one -on -one training. I'm not allowed to do group. And the bootcamp facility does group and is not allowed to do one-on-one. -on -one. So for the last few years, I've been itching to get out of that space, get into a new space, slightly bigger, more open, and where I have no restriction and I'm able to add the group training. And so finally my lease ended and here I am, we found the spot. Um, it actually used to be a personal training gym um, it's bigger, higher ceilings, and I can do group training. So I'm pumped to be adding group. Um, I'm still going to maintain the one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but yeah, I think I will like it even more than the one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to thrive with the group stuff for sure. Solid. That's mm -hmm. an interesting position to be in with uh, the where you're at now or the, the old location mm -hmm. um, is it has it been like in a way like mutually beneficial for you and that other boot camp to like where they can't do what you do and you can't do what they do so you kind of share each other's leads and send clients over once in a while it's, yeah does that happen yeah it's been not so much in that way where we've benefited from each other at least not obviously but it mutually beneficial in the fact that because there were restrictions, we weren't overstepping mm. and com directly competing with each other. Like, sure, we're, we're both in the fitness industry and a, a client can make a decision to either go group or one-on-one, -on -one, but generally that's all already pre-selected if, you know, for lack of a better word, they, they are already a part of a population that is either going to be you know, group training is going to speak to them or one-on-one -on -one is going to speak to them. And, and there's sometimes crossover, but more often than not, like person either likes the group training and that's what they feel like they want and need. 
Um, and then there's a population where it's like, I don't want to be working out in front of people and <clears throat> I need a lot more attention uh, for my form, um, technique, and I'm very new at this, whatever it may be. So I think it was just, it was, it was restricting and, and I wanted to do group training, but it kept us in our lanes and allowed me to focus on what I am able to do and just get better and better at that one thing. So in, in some ways it was good. I didn't get too scattered too early. Yeah. So it helped you kind of find a, a niche in a way, mm -hmm. settle in, get your, your bearings. Tell us about, um, tell us about dry fitness development. Where did that, how did that start for you? And or let's back up even further. How'd you get into, how'd you get into fitness? This'll, this'll segue into our big topic for the day, but how'd you get into fitness? How'd you start? A yeah. Yeah. Good question. I, growing up, I was always active. So I, my, my parents said that, what'd you say? You just, your screen just froze on my end and it was this massive smile that you had on. Oh, okay. <laughs> that Bringing that energy, baby. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so I have always been active growing up. Sports was always my thing. I remember my parents saying that as soon as I could walk, I was, I was walking behind a soccer ball and I was able to punt a soccer ball. And um, so it seems like, you know, right when I, I could, I was getting into sports. I was getting into movement and exercise or at least the, you know, active lifestyle and sports segues very well into fitness and exercise and the you know modern day exercise and lifting and so on that that didn't happen really consistently as far as lifting until i want to say high school maybe maybe um the summer between sophomore and junior year i had joined football for my last two years so i played football and soccer in high school and then um you know Moving on from that, moving into college, I, I feel like I was, you know, one of many people going into college, just kind of going because that's what you do. You don't really know what you want to do. All I knew is I wanted to do something involving sports or physical fitness or human body, some, somewhere along those lines. And so I, I started in an athletic training program. This is at Oklahoma State University. And um, that was great. It was more so to do with <clears throat> dealing with injury. You know, you'd be the dude on the sideline of like a sports team and you'd run out if, if someone's injured, right? So you're treating injury and you also have a great understanding of injury prevention. Um, and I ended up moving on from that into like a general health um, degree, uh, specializing in exercise science. And then from there, it actually, you would think I went out from college and that sets me up perfectly for, uh, my business right now, but I actually detoured before I came back to health and I, my degree was kind of setting me up for corporate wellness. And I just don't feel like looking back, I don't know if I was ready for it. I don't know if I was ready to be some kid sitting at a desk at a corporate location telling adults what to do with their health. So I think some part of that 
scared the hell out of me. And so I decided I wanted something that was maybe more physically demanding. I wasn't behind a desk, more action packed. And so I decided to get into EMS with the intention of uh, getting onto a fire department. So long story short, I go through that. That's maybe a year, year and a half, worked on an ambulance and did some volunteer firefighting. And then I joined a, this was the catalyst. I joined a, a group while I was still in EMS and it was called Fit First Responders. And this is still a program that's going on, uh, started at, at a gym in Tulsa. And, uh, it, you know, firefighters, police, EMS all got together and it was this workout program, group workout program for all of us. And I just loved seeing what the coaches were doing. I loved the energy of, of the workouts, the energy the coaches brought. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be on their side. I felt like that, that just suited me. And so since then, I just, I went in that direction. It, you know, it, it planted a seed. And from that point, I started realizing I'm, I'm not where I want to be with EMS. Firefighting also, I think, sounded cooler in my head um, than it really was for me. Um, and so the last day working on the ambulance that, that net, that following day, I started as a personal trainer and I was working for a guy, um, I'll wrap this up. This is coming to conclusion of how I am or, or where I am with uh, drive fitness, but I spent nine months working for a guy and, uh, coming up to that nine month point, I was, I was really thinking about starting my own business and I was absorbing everything I could watching a lot of YouTube videos, reading, trying to figure out like how to do this and what's the next step. And my boss offered to sell me his gym. So I purchased that and that became drive fitness. So it, it all happened very quickly and, um, it was scary, but exciting. And I just knew like it was already in my mind. That's the direction I wanted to go. So the opportunity just popped in front of me. That's a, that's a great opportunity. Um, when it just kind of fell into your lap, take out to just kind of right. When it fell into your lap yeah. Uh, and you were ready, you were prepared for it too, having already been thinking about starting up a business. And how long ago was that by the way? That was uh, so the beginning of 2016 is when I started okay. as a personal trainer. The end of 2016 in no November is when I purchased it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I noticed this in our industry, like we're all in the fitness industry. Um, that happens so often where mm -hmm. you get into it as a almost by accident you started coaching people and training people like i same for me it was a totally uh, an accident i suppose ron did it because it was the easiest option at the time as he said uh, <laughs> it's true yeah it's true uh, uh, and then and then like so much opportunity comes about so much opportunity and 
and people are constantly in and out of this this business because hey they realize after a while like it's not for me i'm gonna go do this other thing or mm-hmm. you just you just get bit by that entrepreneurial bug and you know one day you're like i want to go chase this uh rabbit down a hole and it's not fitness so it happens that's so cool though that you had that opportunity and you turned it into something something yeah different. I, was very, I imagine I was very, it's been, very fortunate yeah man i imagine it was uh it's been both rewarding and challenging together at the same time. Oof, absolutely. <laughs> it has. What, what's that, the biggest challenge you've, uh, you've seen? What's the biggest challenge you've had in the last few years? The biggest challenge, I would say overall, has been I went, I went straight from being uh, a trainer who works at a gym to a trainer working in my own gym and wearing multiple hats. And I very quickly learned that you have to pick a role and perfect that role, put all your energy and focus in that role. And you can't be split into multiple job functions and do each job function well. And even until today, I'm still more split than I'd like to be, but I'm heading in the right direction i know where i'm at and i know where i want to get to um what job role i want to play as the entrepreneur owner um, and what job roles need to be filled like admin positions you know some type of manager for the gym um thankfully i have a solid head trainer who does most of the in-person one-on-one stuff so that's freeing me up for online work um, some of the story work, you know, that you guys are all familiar with through lifted coaching and now frees me up for the group training. So I can take that on and then get someone in very quickly to start learning the ropes so they can fill my spot as a uh, group trainer. So that's, that's one of the roles that you want to take on in the new location is, is being one of the, one of the group trainers. Yes. Yeah. And now, and so to tie it back to the question. So the, the big challenge was, I mean, being split so many different ways. So it's so easy to just get exhausted and start losing hope and motivation. And then you start questioning, am I really passionate about this, this field? And can I do that? There are lots of questions come into mind, right? And you kind of have to battle that. And then uh, also, figure out where is this mental, physical, emotional drain coming from? What can I actually control? And as I learned more about business, I just started realizing, and actually one of the, the books that allowed me to understand this is called the E-Myth, E standing for entrepreneur. So the E-Myth basically described <clears throat> at least these not this is not an exhaustive list, but the three roles being entrepreneur, a manager, and like a technician, right? And most entrepreneurs jump into business or they do something as a technician and they think, hey, I'm going to, I really like this, in this case, uh, a personal trainer. And like you said, Matt, some people catch that entrepreneurial bug and uh, I'm like, yeah, I want to be my own boss and, and do this for myself. 
so it can only be better, right? <laughs> Being a trainer yeah, right. and then <laughs> and, and you step into it and this is the e-myth, right? Uh, you step into it and you don't realize, oh, now I wear several hats and I can't even fully do the, the, the work of the technician and enjoy it in the same way I did. So I've got to make a decision. Either I want to be a solid coach and in that case, maybe it's better to do it for someone else. Um, or no, I want to keep moving in the direction of an entrepreneur and own this business and run it. And in that case, build some systems, build a team and get some help. That's a really cool point for, uh, for anyone <laughs> listening, right? That's had that, that bug bitten by that bug or been in this mm -hmm. or, or even this. Um, you know, when you have a job and you realize, oh, I hate my boss. If I owned this place, I would do things differently. Yeah. Like I, I'm willing to bet that you would do things differently and you would hate that guy too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like you, oh, yeah. you would hate you as a boss and, and you're totally right. Like it's, it's, uh, it comes down to deciding, making that decision, whether or not you want to which, which hat you want to wear more often. And, uh, and it's, it's possible, totally possible to be an owner and be like responsible for the technician aspect, the coaching, mm -hmm. if you have the systems and other people are handling the rest of the business. You're right, yeah. You don't learn that stuff, man. Getting that's, into it. That's but, something, that's something that you brought up, Alex, that, you know, a feeling that I was never prepared for when, when I took on, when I took on the ownership position, because I had coached for uh, another gym for almost two years before becoming an owner. And it was that moment where I was like, I don't want to be the administrator anymore. I just wanted to be the technician. Like I like, and now it's funny because now I'm the total owner. And back then I was only the part owner. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I just remember just being so frustrated, being like, man, I could, I could, I could close up shop and make a few phone calls and I could be hired at an already established gym that's got 200 plus members and I could just get paid to do the thing that I love to do rather than yeah. rather than struggle so hard to just to be worried about keeping people and like, like worried about, you know, whether or not I'm going to get this next paycheck and stuff like that. And it's so awesome that you brought up the whole concept of in, of of incorporating systems, putting systems into place. Because once that happens, then the then a lot of the worry can just go away. Like, oh hey, this is how it gets done every single time, even if it's not a hundred percent right. As long as there is some sense of structure, things are going to operate a lot more smoothly, and you can put a lot of that stress and worry on the back burner and focus on the things that you do enjoy doing. And like you said, getting the right people into place and, you know, building an awesome team and setting up the, the systems is so important. 
that happens when you organize, right? Like if imagine your your house is a mess and every room is a disaster, you got to put stuff away or clean up or or you got things in boxes. And once you finally organize one room, it's off your mind and you can relax. And each, each, each room yeah. is, a, is a part of the business. And with, with you, Alex, and you know, the reason for this, not that the only reason for this conversation, one of the reasons for this conversation is you just completed an Ironman. You just did something that, that takes hours and hours of training per day or out of your week in addition to running a business moving locations and you did it during uh, a time of year where you're only eating certain parts of the, during certain parts of the day so oh, yeah so you not only were you wearing all these hats as a business owner entrepreneur coach you decided to also be an athlete who's fasting and <laughs> and, and then you compete during that time so Man, I'd love, I want to dive into this story a little bit. Because Are you calling me a lunatic, Matt? I, I, <laughs> I'm calling you something, and it's, and it's not over. So let's start with this, man. Where did the idea to do an Ironman come from? Oh, man. For, tell the listeners, by the way, what is an Ironman for, <clears throat> for people who are hearing that for the first time? Yeah. It's an Ironman. So an Ironman refers to a, a triathlon, a specific um, distance in triathlon. So when I talk to people about <clears throat> triathlons in general, they, they think it's a one-size thing, a one-size race, but there are several dis different distances, just like runs, marathons, half marathons. So an Ironman is the um, largest distance, and you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112 miles, and then you proceed to run a marathon on tired legs, 26.2 miles. So that's an Ironman for you. And I never thought in my life that I'd want to do anything like that. I was not, I was not an endurance athlete. I'm, I think I'm built well for it. I think I'm, I have a lot of potential there with it, but I gravitated much more towards like ball sports and I I got excited more so by the explosive action in those types of sports so I never thought I would enjoy just going and going and going long distances on wheels or on my legs but um for soccer growing up you know there's some endurance and that's why I did have that endurance background to some degree and didn't completely hate running. And so in, so, you know, I, I ran for exercise uh, periodically. And then in 2019, it was 2019 or the end towards the end of 2018, I was listening to a podcast and I cannot remember the, the lady's name, but she was a collegiate athlete. Um, she may have played lacrosse or something along those lines. She, was, she wasn't a triathlete, but after college, she got into triathlon and she ended up going pro. And I always had this desire to be a professional athlete or at least do something 
some great physical feat um, and, and make it on, on, on a bigger stage to, to put my body to the test and perform at a high level. And so when I saw that, oh, this lady late, later in her life, you know, later in terms of going professional in sports, right? You don't just pick something up at the age of, it's not very often that people pick something up after college and then they go pro in it. So I was like, let me try a triathlon. Let me try a sprint <clears throat> triathlon, which is the, the shortest distance. And uh, that was in <clears throat> 2019, April, 2019. And, um, you know, that's like 400 yards of swimming, 12 miles of biking and two miles of running. And, and those vary to some degree, but roughly around that distance. And so when I completed that, I just had a rush. I caught, caught the bug there too. I was like, I'm going to do this again. Definitely going to do this again. Nowhere in my mind did I think Ironman, but that year, uh, Ironman, the organization was looking for a Midwestern location and Tulsa was in the mix and Tulsa ended up getting picked. And uh, so they got a three-year contract. So for three years now, we're going to have it in Tulsa. And it was supposed to be 2020. So I trained, I ramped up training. This is after like several people asked me, Alex, are you going to do the Ironman? Just because I did a little baby sprint triathlon. So if anyone's, anyone has done triathlon and they know the difference between a sprint and an Ironman, it's like, it's just because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just because I played T-ball does not mean I'm, you know, going to sign up with the Yankees here. Like, that's what it was in my mind, right? I had this big, this big image of what this, what it meant to um, complete an Ironman and even attempt to do all the training and so on. And so I laughed it off when, when most people asked until, you know, finally a few more asked and a few more asked. I'm like, why, why am I not even considering it? And I was like, it is, it is pretty crazy that I just got into this and here, here comes Iron Man to, it comes to me, right? It came to Tulsa. And so then I started toying around with the idea and, and I'm like, here's, here's a great opportunity. Here's a great opportunity to put myself to the test. And guys, I don't do a lot of things without like thinking of the deeper meaning behind it. So, you know, I started realizing in many areas of my life, I, I was much more of the high intensity person, the, the quick, the fast, the powerful. And it, what that communicated to me or the, the thought that came to my head was that lacks patience, that lacks timing, that lacks pacing. And I could use that figuratively speaking, metaphorically in my life more more of like, hey, let's treat life as uh, a marathon rather than a sprint, as people say. And so I was like, this is going to teach me a lot, this whole process. And I signed up for it. Mm. And, uh, and then COVID happened. So you ramped up, you're ready for it, and the race gets pushed. And it was a little heartbreaking, but it was also like, hey, we get another year to do this. And it also tests you to see if what are you in it for? If I was in it just for that event and that day, then yeah, it, it can be super depressing. But if you can enjoy the process and remember that, that deeper reason why you're doing this and all the things that can be extracted 
a value from that process, then it's like, hey, I just get to extend this process another year. Um, so I wonder how many people look at something like an Ironman, like, like, yeah, there's, you go from T-ball to major leagues and you might see that as uh, something that's ridiculous. So they look at, right. they look at the, like, they look at Ironman as an end goal rather than a process like you described and like, there's so much fear around it. Like what? Yeah. I'm sure you were held back at some point, like, or you were um, a little bit uh, hesitant about signing up at first mm -hmm. because you had that underlying fear of like, oh, sh like, no, you have to start when you're like a kid, start training for this stuff. How can I do it now? Like, what went, what went on through your head? What was that internal uh, dialogue that you had with yourself? What's the story? Dude, that's exactly right though and um before i answer that question i think a lot of people do that and i've done it several times in my life is making something out to be a lot bigger than it is um because you look at that thing and that experience as one whole big event and we don't immediately break it down into the steps and the processes um and i think that's what our clients do a lot of and that goes back to story work, right? Like, what is this narrative you've built up around this, this thing, this event, this goal, um, perhaps a weight loss journey, right? It seems like a mountain. And who are you to be climbing this mountain? Uh, you've, you've always struggled with weight. Therefore, this is a freaking mountain you're about to climb. And, um, and so to be able to take something like that, that you're fearing and, and looking at as, um, uh, maybe bigger in your mind than it, it is in reality uh, to take that and to be able to break it down and, and see the steps, you know, the, the steps that lead to that event and to that goal that comforts you. There's a sense of relief and a, a sense of control that you gain back. And it's, it's, again, it's, that's the outcome. That's, that's the goal you're looking for. You've got to set that as a direction and then break it down into a process and just go day by day. So that was part of the conversation was I asked, I asked, what if, you know, like, like we Mark challenge us, challenges us to do and enlisted is ask that what if and see how that feels. So it was like, what if I did this? And it started to get exciting thinking about that and when you can start get it, getting excited about the process process and start even god forbid start thinking whoa i could potentially be successful at this then you feel a pull towards it and the fear can can fade or it isn't so big and bad anymore your energy and excitement overcome that and your confidence rises up. Mm. I love the I love the mountain reference, and this is a good analogy. Like, have you ever, have you ever climbed a mountain or gotten yeah. gotten to the top of something? Right. It's a, it's a ton of fun. It's it's a mm -hmm. lot of fun. I, I I showed up on my Facebook memories today, three years ago today. Summited Mount Rainier in Washington. It's this massive volcanic mountain in the north pacific northwest 
And you, you fly into Seattle and you can see it from anywhere within 500 miles of Seattle. It's, it's, it's massive. And it looks like this ridiculous thing. It's, a, it's like a legend in, if you live in the area, like if you've climbed Mount Rainier, they look at you with this prestige, similar to, you know, someone would look at somebody who's completed an Ironman mm -hmm. and, and everyone talks about it. And then you get, you, you get up there and you're like, there's no way, there's no way you can climb that. And then you're on the mountain and you look around and all you see is like, there's a trail, there's, there's some snow, there's some rocks. And you're just looking one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And eventually you get to the top. It takes a few days. It's difficult, it's rewarding. And you climb back down and you look back and you're like, holy shit, I did that. <laughs> like what? No way. And the memories now, the memories that you have, they're not of the, that moment on the summit where, you know, you're, you're just checking a box off. The memories are of the process. The memories are of the steps that you took and people that you met and the, the things you got to do and the challenges you overcame. And, uh, and I imagine, and yeah, training for an Ironman is, is, is similar and starting a new business is similar and uh, going on a weight loss journey is, is similar. You, you're staring at this mountain that's miles and miles away and all you have to do is take the step closer in that direction. See where that step takes you. If, if people yep. thought a little differently, if they changed that perspective, ask the what if, you know, what if I went there? What would happen? How would, how would things change for people? Yeah, I love, absolutely. I love playing that game with my clients. The, yeah. you know, <laughs> the what like, if game. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I have, I have two clients that have really, really struggled with weight loss, ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, and, you know, that make some significant progress and then just crash. And I, I stopped doing physical stuff with them. I was like, we're going to do something different. And, you know, we, we sat down and just started working with words and, uh, and now they're, now they're both like, they hired, they both hired the nutrition coach at the like full accountability. So like they are making the investment in themselves and, and they're, they're diving straight in. And this time around, because I played the what if game, because I helped reframe the way they spoke about food, about themselves. Um, like this time around there, I, I really, I know that they're going to see the changes. Um, before we started recording, Alex, you had uh, mentioned something uh, and it's, it's something that I, that I 100% believe in. I, I call it a date on the calendar and you referenced it as having a, a race in your, in your pre Ironman training, like you had something else, uh, a shorter distance that you had participated in. And, you know, this is when I was gung ho about competing in CrossFit, like I would sign up for local competitions, like every, uh, like every two months and, and they would be my dates on the calendar to, to like, to just to stay after it, stay after it, stay after it. And you, uh, you said it was important to be signed up for that race. Dive into that. Tell us, uh, you know, 
how you use that as motivation and why you believe it's important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's kind of like the next checkpoint, right? Um, because I mean, and I can, um, and I'll answer this and also take it into the, within the race too, because I think this whole like checkpoint method is and way of thinking is it makes it more bite-sized for you because life in general is a long journey. These bigger goals we have become long journeys. And if you're trying to take it all in all at once, again, it becomes that mountain. Um, and it, it's very hard to see the peak. It's very hard to see that end goal and that finish line when you're in race like an Ironman. So putting something on the calendar, focusing on the next nearest checkpoint allows you to stay focused and shifts you again out of the outcome thinking into more of, pro of process thinking. And at least your next outcome, your next goal is a lot nearer to you, a lot more achievable. And so it, it keeps it realistic and we're not having to live in failure for a, uh, an extended amount of time before we finally um, get to that finish line or that check, that, that large goal or checkpoint, you know? Um, so I think that's huge. And, and when you put a date on a calendar, it's, it's serious. It's written down. It's there. You've likely paid for it if it's a race or a competition like that. So there's uh, an investment in it. And look, we're, we, we sometimes struggle seeing way far into the future. So when it's a little closer to us, uh, there's some time pressure to, to keep going. And so when you, some, you don't want to, you don't feel like training, you don't feel like getting out of bed early um, and putting in the effort, that next quick checkpoint is a solid reminder and a solid push to just do it. We talk identity so much and like that uh, once you put a race on the calendar, you know, it's, it's like, all right, I guess I'm doing this. Okay. I'm mm -hmm. doing this. Oh, I'm training for this. Then you have, you go to the gym and you have a purpose. So you, whatever you do in the gym, you know, if you're doing personal training, you talk to your trainer, create a, a plan. If you're in a CrossFit gym, you just have a different mindset and you go in and you're like, all right, yeah. I'm doing this today so that three months from now I can do what I got to do. Um, I can get, get the, get the work done. I can finish, I can feel accomplished and it'll, it'll shift how you approach what you're doing as well. Because again, it's, it's that purpose, uh, purpose driven mindset where you're focused on the process and you are, looking forward to the outcomes with the, uh, this idea that there's something beyond that too. Mm -hmm. uh, great to have multiple steps to get there. Like, like if the goal long-term is Ironman, 140.6 miles of swimming, biking and running, like that's a ton. So let's, let's do a sprint triathlon. Let's do an Olympic distance triathlon. Let's do a half Ironman. Let's build up the, the tolerance and over time you're like, I just have to train for the sprint. Now I just have to train for the next one. Now I just have to train for the next one. And you check those boxes. And 
by preparing for the first one, you're automatically preparing yourself for the next one. The thought that just popped into my head, the thought that just popped into my head was something along the lines of imagine somebody that wants to become a jujitsu world champion and they train, they train in the gym all the way to black belt, but they've never competed once. Do you think they're going to stand a chance on the competition floor by just going to the world championships after great. You, you possess a ton of skills in the gym, but you don't, you don't know what it's like to be on the stage with, without being on the stage. Like it's different. It's a, it's different. You're in a, when you're training, you approach it with one aspect or one lens or a mm-hmm. subjective psychological perspective. And you and never, then, <laughs> you never what? You never push yourself as never. hard in training as you will ever do on a competition floor. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I went the, the, the few competitions I did in freestyle BMX, I was out there trying tricks I had never even tried before. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to, like, I'm going to do this 360 when I don't even know if I can. Let's say, let's send it, <laughs> you know? Um, Dude, I bet we, I bet we've all got some ridiculous stories of when the, the, the clock started or the race started and we just went balls out. Dude. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Cr- cramped up at mile four. Yeah. Side <laughs> stitch. Yeah. I, I remember this, this one crosser competition I did and I was, I was kind of sick and the workout, the workout was totally in my favor. It was things that I was, that I was good at. And I was like, I'm going to go crush this. And I hit the first round super hard and my central nervous system was like, Nope. After that first round. And I jumped back up onto the pull-up bar and it was like my body, my mind knew how to do the movement, but my body was like, no, you're not going to do this anymore. And like, I had done the first round of chest of our pull-ups completely unbroken, came back for the second round and I couldn't even string two together. And I was like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Man, that's something I learned big time uh, training for the Ironman is <clears throat> just pacing in general. Like this is endurance, right? And even in an explosive sport, there's still an element of pacing, preserving, timing, and um, understanding energy and how to manage that throughout the, the, the length of the competition. So that was something I really learned in this process was pacing and understanding low intensity, long or a long event, a, a large volume of effort. You just have to dial down the notch on intensity. You have to be able to. How, how, and, do, you, um, how do you uh, help someone or, or what would you say to someone who deals with mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety around these things? I, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm remembering, I've done so many races at this point in my life, like different types of yeah. races. Like you're standing at the, the starting line waiting for the gun to go off and you're thinking like, oh, how should I, how should I pace this? What should I, how should I start? And you, you know, you think you're running a 
nine minute mile and you're running a seven minute mile because everyone else is going so fast. And then next thing you know, you're gassed. So what do you tell someone who's like waiting at the starting line and they're building up this anxiety and they're, they're, there's this story they're telling themselves is I'm going to fuck this up. (laughs) Well, that's exactly what I would want to know is what is the story? Because many people would be thinking that and others might be thinking something different, you know? Um, so it's like, what is driving that anxiety? Let's get to the bottom of that. And then, then we can get somewhere. But I would hope that, and like you said, we've all made that mistake. I've made that mistake, but we would hope that after that mistake, you learn before the next race that you're going to practice the pacing and understand that and, and dial in that pacing that works for you, right? So then you don't have to question it at the beginning of right. the line. You know it's downstairs exactly the, the pace. Matt, you're not muted. You know exactly the, the pace you're going to run, and you already know up front that there's going to be the challenge of wanting to stay with the crowd and just go with the flow and the energy, but you've got to stay grounded and, and um, stick to the plan that you set. So have, have that plan, right? If you don't have the plan, I'm talking to someone who doesn't have a plan of pacing and they're up there and they're worried. Be like, yeah, I'd be worried too. <laughs> I don't know how your energy is going to work. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, the plan yeah. helps so much and practicing, Absolutely. practicing the plan too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember um, training, half-assed training for my first marathon. I say half-assed because I had a plan and I, I did not follow through on that plan. Same. <laughs> Same. It was like, I did, I hit one long run like two weeks out. Oh, one God. long run, it was like, it was like 20 miles, 20 mile run. Um, no, no nutrition practice, no like hydration. Uh, I, I woke up late. Like I just, it just wasn't, I wasn't following the plan. There's, there was definitely a lesson learned. learned. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's just what has to happen. We have to screw up and get to a race and not have trained for it very well, not have planned out pacing because it might be something you're unaware of and well, i can I there's can, a good life yeah. lesson <laughs> right yeah so it's just like lean into that and just accept that oh well there it is and that that kind of slapped me in the face but um it's not going to get past me next time because that kind of hurt or that kind of sucked um so it draws the attention to it and that's definitely what happened so alex how did you how did you manage training for this event and uh mm-hmm. during during ramadan while running a business that was moving locations <laughs> oh man how do you plan for that <laughs> um you know it sometimes when the pressure is increased you just you just rise to the challenge, right? <laughs> like it, when you have time and space and you're, you don't have a lot of pressure, in other words, I know you guys talk about this a lot, is you're comfortable. You tend to 
you tend to get comfortable and get relaxed and you don't push forward. You're not driving forward. So when whether life turns up the dial on intensity or, or you even make decisions like signing up for an Ironman that dials up the intensity and challenge and there's extra pressure on you, you just tend to rise to the challenge. And maybe you don't have the confidence in that, but you go through certain experiences of life and you realize, hey, I, I rose to the challenge in this point in my life. I rose to the challenge in this point in my life. And that may be periods of time of transition. Um, let's say middle school to high school, high school to college, or your family made a big move. And these are all points in my life I can, life I can draw from and say, hey, there's an, a, a positive narrative and story that I, can, I have built and I can draw from to move into this new challenge, a new phase in my life. And I know I will show up and perform and get it done. Do I know all the details right now? No. And I don't have to know that. I just have to know that there is a process mm -hmm. to it. Take the big thing, chunk it down, make it bite-sized, make it doable, and focus on one step at a time. And um, one, of the, one of the big fears for me at that time was, Ramadan during training because I was I was going into peak training in the middle of Ramadan before I would taper down and the the good thing is over the last few years I started pushing myself year by year just a little bit more and testing the boundaries of what I could do while I was fasting and for those of you that don't know or are not familiar with Ramadan um, it is a holy month for uh, Muslims, and we fast from before sunup to after sundown, and that's it's a full dry fast. So uh, on top of no food, you're not taking in any water, any fluids at all. And so that, that was really the challenge, um, was not taking in fluids. That's what I was worried about. Um, but again, I could draw on past experiences and past challenges that I put myself through and learned from. And although I hadn't done, I hadn't done anything as big as an Ironman, I knew I had mowed yards in the summertime while I was fasting. I did the Murph challenge while I was fasting one year. <clears throat> um, although I cut, I cut the reps in half, to be fair. I did the full miles. I, for some reason, still wore a 20-pound vest, yet cut the reps in half. But uh, either way, that, that was a big tester for me and reset some, um, maybe boundaries aren't, aren't, isn't the best word, but it, it, it showed, me, showed me the next um, standard that I could... Uh, it showed me what my limits were, I guess, right? I, I continued to expand these limits and now here was the new test. And um, I just did it little by little. I attempted, you know, a 50 plus mile bike ride, no food, water. I was like, okay, I managed. I didn't die. I'm still coherent. <laughs> and uh, it was like, let's, let's try the big, bigger miles the next time. And um, that was a huge confidence boost just making that attempt and actually succeeding at some of this stuff. So the hundred mile bike ride that I did 
while fasting, that gave me so much confidence going into the race because nutrition is a huge part of these endurance races and people's uh, digestive systems and or the digestive process while you're exercising and you're doing it for half a day. Like by that time, your stomach's rejecting things, your body's rejecting things. So the nutrition side of things and managing energy was a big thing. And just knowing that I could sustain energy, effort, not cramp up without food and water. I was like, shoot, this is great. So just adding food, electrolytes and water is only going to enhance it. There's got to be some, dude, there's got to be some, uh, some science behind Oh yeah, behind fasted training, um, and yeah. and and a lot of benefits for it. I I remember doing uh doing the Ironman, the half Ironman, uh, and and having a, a nutrition plan and, and bringing food with me and, and eating every forty five minutes or so while I'm on my bike and, and taking in fluids constantly. Um, and I and in the the run portion of it, I didn't take in anything. Um, and my body was crashing and that, that was my, my fault. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, since you practiced and trained, um, basically with, uh, on, you know, into a starvation mode, because you, you run mm-hmm. out of energy at some point, you start burning fat, you start burning, uh, using the proteins and, and going catabolic on your muscles while you're doing these things. At some point, it's got to, there, there, there must be some sustainable point where you can keep going without taking in food and, and food. Oh, absolutely. I wonder yeah, what, the, so, what, what is the actual boundary aside from your resilience as an athlete? Like, is there a boundary here? Man, that's, that's what I'm from a safety perspective too. <clears throat> right, right. And, and first, I, I will say this first is like, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't push anyone to go and do that. Um, you know, do a fasted workout with water, a wet fast, but I'm not going to push anyone to go do a, a dry fasted intense workout unless they, it, it's up to the individual, right? But <laughs> test, test it and go one step at a time. I didn't just up and decide to do an Ironman without having uh, several years of experience with fasting and then slowly increasing my, my exercise. But a couple things, uh, there's actually some science out that shows that fasting can be, can be and is um, muscle sparing, has a muscle sparing effect. So there is this idea that we go into starvation mode, it's catabolic and so on. Sure, we may not be in an uh, in an anabolic phase where we're just like, okay, I'm fasting and I'm going to be able to put on a lot of size and mass. No, we can't really optimize that, but it actually does have a muscle sparing effect. And, um, what I experienced is that I only dropped about five, six pounds throughout this whole process, even with all of the, uh, cardio. Um, and when I mean a week to two weeks after I was right back up to the weight that I was. So that suggested to me that it was mostly water weight, potentially some fat, hardly if any muscle loss. And if I lost muscle, I think it was more so to do with the fact that I didn't do a lot of strength training or any, yeah, a lot of strength training, definitely nothing for mass. 
while I'm training for an Ironman. Mm. And I think it was more to do with that than the fasting. And that is if I even lost a pound of muscle. Um, the one of the now what did your what did your caloric intake look like when you were eating because i'm sure you woke up early before the sun rose and ate a big meal and you, you ate one yeah. or two times before bed so what what was your daily caloric intake you know i didn't actually track it and i'm okay. i'm am i'm a pretty intuitive eater so I, I sometimes track and it's sometimes fun to track and uh do macro splits and all that but I never end up sticking to it. And so for me, that works. Um, yeah. I can say I ate a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, ballpark. Uh, that's it. one ballpark thing. It for us. <laughs> ballpark. It, I would say, you know, around the 3000 mark, sometimes less, sometimes more, because there, there were times that you would, would not believe like what your body can do with a small amount of energy. It just, yeah. it's amazing. Um, but yeah, we would get up, well, a, a small amount of in, energy consumed taken in. We have an endless store of energy, uh, our, our fats, and that's even the leanest athletes. I can't remember where I heard this or read this, but um, even some of the leanest athletes, well, let me start with glycogen stores. So as far as glycogen stores, so the storage form of glucose carbs, we even um, a very trained athlete, which will have larger stores and more ability to store this energy, it's somewhere around the 2000 calorie mark that we can store. That's not a lot of energy when you think of going uh, through an Ironman, some endurance sport like this. So uh, as far as fat goes though, even some of the leanest athletes will have 20,000 calories of stores when it comes to fat. So when you're approaching, <clears throat> When you're approaching an event like this, an endurance event, and you think I've got to extend my energy, what fuel source do you want to rely on there? Um, it's clear that you need to be metabolically flexible and you need to be able to switch over to burning fat without having this huge dip in energy, that bonk that people experience. And so fasting absolutely helped that. And also, um, you know, sometimes low carb eating, I don't do it for extended periods of time. Uh, but I, I do eat uh, a good amount of protein, good amount of fat, and sometimes will limit my carbs, uh, so that my body is a little bit more used to going, okay, not so many carbs available, I'm simply going to switch over and, and predominantly burn fat. So that I think fasting accelerated that process and my ability to do that. And, um, now yeah. do you, do you, do you ever, do you practice intermittent fasting while you're outside of the outside of Ramadan? Do you practice fasting at all? Yeah. And, and more so just, uh, very sporadically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm not, I don't feel like eating breakfast and yeah. I don't believe breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Like, like, you know, like they say, um, it's just another meal. And I think there maybe is some things to meal timing, but we, we that was a created idea. So sometimes I don't feel like eating breakfast. So I'll be like, hey, I guess I'm, I'll drink some water. And I sometimes sporadically fast like that. And I find that although I love food 
and food does give you energy there <laughs> before it gives you energy it demands energy to be processed right and, and yeah. then you also so you eat your lunch and you have that like full that just dip in energy you want to nap so there's a, a much more consistent uh, calm energy that you have when you're fasting. That's been my experience. And it's not always like that if you're not used to it, right? There's this transition phase. So if anyone's new to this and they're going to fasting and they try it and they're like, this dude, Alex doesn't know what he's talking about. Cause that's not my experience. <laughs> it's an exhausting well, transition. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a transition. You're, you're going through a process. You're starting to tell your body what to do. And here's a new stimulus. It's gotta, it's gotta adapt. It. Mm. So, um, I really yeah. believe that, and and we we had that conversation a few weeks ago, Ron and I, about uh, you know what happens when you when you eat a lot and and you crash afterward, and what happens hormonally. But I believe that, um, and look, you look back in time at our ancestors in a way, pre pre civilized food sources, right? Before there were markets and places you can go grab food, right? Before food was accessible, like there was a chance where you might not eat for days at a time. That might exactly. be right. So like the idea of fasting is it, it's not this ridiculous concept. No. And it's you. ability. Yeah. And it's ability to actually give you energy too. Like our bodies have this efficient energy storage method called fat. We hold all this fat. Some people hold too much. Okay. Right. But you said if, if we're holding 20,000 calories worth of fat as energy that you can utilize, you're not using that in a day. That's, that can be refreshed every couple of days. So yeah, realistically, do we need to eat as much as we think we do? Or is that the narrative that we've been given? exactly <laughs> well we live we live in such a <clears throat> like our reality is <laughs> is not <laughs> how do i say this we live in a very almost made up it's all made up packaged up world right i mean we have we go to a grocery store and we have endless amounts of food and packaged foods and things you can't even call foods that we put into our bodies and, and I do it too. So don't, and they don't taste so wrong. good. I like them tasting <laughs> things we can't even call food. But it, so that starts to set our reality that the reality is that we always have access to food and you got to eat every two hours um, or, or something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's that subconsciously you're, you're, right. you're starving, right? Your, mm -hmm. your subconscious mind is saying eat now because it's been two hours. It's been four hours. Now you're starving. Meanwhile, man. So yeah, let me tell you something about that. And you've probably played around with fasting yourself, yeah. right? So you've probably experienced the <clears throat> hunger signals and the appetite, maybe even early on in a fast. And you start to think, wow, if I feel like this now early on in the fast, it's only going to be worse later. But that's not true because we, we get these hunger signals, certain hormones are released and you don't eat within that window and it dips back down. Mm. And so knowing that going into it, 
that helps too mentally knowing that, okay, this is a feeling it's going to pass just like our feelings and emotions. It's temporary. It's going to pass. It doesn't just go up in in this linear fashion. Um, And actually you hear about people that do like multiple day fasts. They, you know, that hunger comes and goes and may intensify at some points. And then it just levels out. Have you heard about the guy who fasted for a year? No, no. I didn't, I didn't even know it was possible. Like it, an entire year? Yeah, an entire year. So let me, let me tell you about this and where the idea that fasting is, becomes catabolic, you lose muscle and you go into starvation mode. That idea comes from, uh, it's called the Minnesota Starvation uh, Study, I think. The problem with that study there's, there's a YouTube channel called What I've Learned. I highly suggest uh, checking out that channel. Amazing, amazing information. Talks about a lot of these topics and he presents it so well. I mean, it's high quality production. And so he talked about this study and was saying that the problem with it is the subjects they use were all very lean men. So they didn't have a lot of fat. And... Um, what they did was significantly reduce their calories. There's a big difference between eating low calorie consistently and going long periods of time without eating, i.e. fasting. So that, that's a totally different effect on the body. And I can't really, I don't, I don't know if I can speak on it without butchering it, but he has a video on that as well. And so, yes, these people who are consistently eating low calories, so that's something to think about with our clients too. What are we setting them up for? If we're making them move more, eat less. It works to some degree, but it's somewhat of a broken model as well because it's not so sustainable. And um, these guys did go into somewhat of a starvation mode, but it was because they were so lean already and they were it wasn't fasting. They were doing low calorie consistently. So then he switches and talks about a guy who was significantly overweight. And all he did was drink water, coffee, and tea for a whole year. And again, if he's 300, 400 pounds, we've got to, again, remember that that fat is stored energy. So he had energy on his, on his body. And that's how he was able to go that long. And he dropped to like 180 pounds. Now, the, the one question I would have is like, what about the micronutrients? You know, because energy is one thing, but he's not taking in any nutrients. That, that's one big question I have. That, that and the, the gut. Crazy. Health. Yeah. The hormone yeah. imbalance that he must have developed. <laughs> and I but, wonder what but it was the like. thing is. What was it like after there weren't adverse effects uh, from, mm. from what I remember it, it, it was a mostly, if not all positive uh, experience for him. And uh, it, that's one of the, that video is where I also drew the idea that the, it talked about the hunger, hunger, right? You get these waves of hunger, but for him after that, it, it just wasn't there your body adapts and gets used to it. And it's like, Oh, this is where I'm drawing my energy source from. I'm not going to send these hunger signals. It's just wild. So. 
I wonder what that first cheeseburger was like after that. <laughs> painful. Amazing, right? but painful. <laughs> oh, man. His stomach, oh, his stomach is, is like, fuck this. Get it out. Get it out. Dude, Alex, what's next? What's next for you? What's the next challenge? What's the next big thing? What are you looking at? Oh, that's a good question. I like it. Um, the next big challenge is another Ironman. I already signed up for it. So 2022, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, you know what? And before that, um, I am doing a 100K race in November. So my first ultra marathon run. So I've only done, believe it or not, I've only done a sprint triathlon, a half marathon, one lousy, lousy uh, virtual marathon. Like what the hell is that? And then this Ironman as far as like big events. So um, I like to put that in perspective for people because you think of someone who does an Ironman and you think they've been doing this all their life. They were built for this. Um, they've done several marathons, all this stuff, right? But no, it's just consistent training. And so what's next is, yeah, the ultra marathon, uh, Ironman 2022. And I have a big goal of shaving at least two hours off of my time and uh, qualifying for Kona. And, and Kona, yes. the race in Hawaii is a big one. So I'm, I'm setting the, the sights high and seeing what I can do. That oh, sounds yeah. so cool, man. And by the yeah. way, for, for people listening, uh, 100K is 62 miles of running. I imagine trail running, right? Trail running. Yeah. Makes it a little bit more exciting. A lot more yeah. exciting. A lot I more love exciting. It. That's really cool, man. Yeah. On the bucket list for sure. Um, if mm. people want to follow your journey. Where, where are they finding Instagram and Facebook are the best places. Um, and my handle is just my full name, Alex Tufan. Last name spelled T-O-O-F-A-N. Sweet. What's up? Follow what's something along. you would, uh, what's something you want to leave behind for the listeners? What's up? <laughs> to end this, end this on one note. You know, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately is um, I came up with a, a, a framework for myself, a set of questions that I ask myself in any given experience, especially these bigger experiences, whether it be like completing something you've set out to accomplish, like an Ironman, or um, you, you, you're studying for years and years and finally graduate. So think in terms of accomplishment, but also just any experience that happens to you, even negative experiences, a framework for how to like process that and extract something of value from it. And so the three questions, it might be different for everyone, what works for them, but the three questions I ask myself is, what did I learn from it about the process, about life? What dots can I connect? Um, and then what, what did I learn about me? What does this mean about me? So one is more external, one's more personal of what I learned. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a badass. I, I learned that I can uh, put up with a lot of pain, pain and emotions and discomfort. It's temporary. Um, and I can also, I learned that I, I can be very pleasant while I'm in pain. because I'm over there chatting to people 
uh, you know, on bikes and meeting people from Sweden that are racing. And, uh, and then the last question is just like you asked, Matt is, is what's next. What does this set me up for? What direction does this push me in? And that I feel like eliminates some of the disappointment that can set in disappointment and maybe the void, the emptiness that can set in if you approach something like this big race as the sole thing you're trying to accomplish, right? And you don't have any sight past it. You have no, um, you have no focus on the process and appreciation for the process. What those questions to me do, it, it goes, hey, what can I extract from that process? And also what's coming next because this is not my whole world this thing that i accomplished or this thing that happened to me is not my whole world it's it's a point that i can extract something from it and move forward so that's what i'll leave awesome oh yeah dude thank you congratulations on yes completing the iron man and, and uh, opening the new place uh looks nice thanks looks great man. looking forward thanks, to seeing man. more from more from you in the future alex thank you so much Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate being on here and I love following you guys. So hopefully we'll have a, another good conversation in the future. Definitely during our class times coming up. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. All right. You guys have. If you loved this podcast, then share it. Tell all your friends. Hit the copy button, copy the link choose five friends in your contact list on your phone and send it out. Let them know what they can expect from it too, because we are on a mission here to change the world and we want to help as many people as possible. So if you know anyone who can benefit from hearing what we have to say or what our guests have to say, then send it over. It's not going to do them any good if they don't hear it. Another way you can support us and support the podcast is really simply go on to apple or go on to spotify and rate the thing give us a five-star review write us a little note let us know how we're doing shoot us a dm on instagram whatever it takes let us know so we know that we're on the right track and we know that we're providing content that is actually relevant to what you are needing and what you are looking for and if it's not, hey, maybe we can help. So do your job. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.